Welcome to the Bethel Church Austin Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this sermon by a special guest speaker. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit www.bethelchurchaustin.com. All right, don't sit down yet. You're going to go to heaven. Slip your hands to heaven. Rapture practice, if there is one. I got raptured 2,000 years ago. I've been seated with Christ in heavenly places. You look into his eyes long enough, you'll see the twinkling of his eye. You'll be caught up into that realm again. Come on, slip your hands to heaven. Here we go. Ready? Lord, we ask that you would release now the spirit, the sevenfold spirit of God. The chariots of heaven would come into this room and take us into the burning presence of the throne room on the crystal blue persuasion of the sea of glass. Take us into that heavenly realm, Lord, where we have been seated. This is not just a thought, it's a reality, Lord. You have seated us with Christ in heavenly places and blessed us beyond measure. Oh, Jesus, I pray that you would fill, 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 fill each heart with the spirit of heaven, the spirit of revelation. We leave our know-it-all badge outside the door. We're little children that, that come to nurse, that come to receive from the very breasts of God to drink, to drink the wine and the milk without money, without price. What you have given us, what you provided for us. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Before you sit down, pray just a quick prayer for the person one-on-one, the person next to you, even if you don't like them. Ready? Go. Go ahead and bless them. Pray for them. Shiska Babaluskis, Shabaronda. All right, be seated in the heavenly realm. Take your place on the sea of glass, lovers of God. Drink your fill. All right, we've got uh, a lot I want to share with you today, but before we do, uh, let, let me ask, how many of you never heard, really, of the Passion Translation, you don't have one. How many of you? Okay. Stand up right now. Okay. Stay standing. Now, Diana and Michael, I felt the Lord told me to give everybody here a New Testament from the table. So if you'll run in there real quick. If, no, 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 no. Everyone that doesn't have, and the rest of you who have one, either online or whatever, you're going you're gonna to get into the spirit of generosity, all right? So, uh, yeah, just stay standing until you get handed. Some of you will be handed a, uh, one of these. I'll give this to somebody here. Actually, Suzanne. There's Suzanne or Susanna. Where's Suzanne or Susanna? Is she here? It's hard to tell because a lot of people are standing. A wave at me if you are Susan, Susanna. Okay. Uh, what's your middle name? Okay, what's your, what's your, 
What's your ATM pin number? No, 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 no. <laughs> Susan, would you come up? I want to give this to you. So, you know what your name means? That's exactly right. And you're a ray of glory from the Son of God. Okay, let's... Oh, this is so fun. Merry Christmas, everybody. I really felt like the Lord... Yeah, just hand them out. Yeah, everybody is going that's never had one is going to get one. And all the people tonight that come only tonight are going to be really mad. But I want you... Yeah, just hand them to anybody standing up. I hope we have enough. I only sent seven cases. Yeah, once you get it, please sit down so we know that you got one. And those that are standing, Michael, you come up, please. Hey, good to see you, man. What up, dog? Huh? You going on a cruise with me? You going on that cruise? You're going on a cruise. Okay, you're going on a cruise with me. Yeah. Hey, this is a amazing Texan from Dallas. <laughs> Actually, he's a Joyzy boy. He's a Joyzy. But God called him to come and move to Texas. And Michael is an amazing author and minister and just a fantastic friend to me. And he's traveled all the way from Dallas all the way down from Dallas, three hours, <laughs> uh, whatever, to, to come and help at our book table. And now, if there's no books, you don't have to do anything at the table. So uh, Michael is an author of a book that I've endorsed, and it's, it's called Immersed in His Glory. I love the book, and I love Michael. Would you take a minute and just tell everybody, and then I'm going to make you give that to somebody, too. You guys love Jesus here. Come on. You guys are lovers of the presence of the Lord. I was a hedonist. I was a pleasure seeker in all of the wrong places, a drug addict, an enemy of God in my heart. I bought into the religious lie that uh, Christianity was all about behavior modification, about duties, about being good until the day you meet Jesus, possibly one day in heaven. And I got in my room by myself after exhausting all of my options. I tried to make myself happy. I tried to fulfill myself and fill the hole in my heart. And I cried out to Jesus. And I said, if you're real like people say you are, then change me. Do something in my life. I need you. And in that moment, I encountered the glory, the presence of the Lord for the first time in my life. And just one touch from Jesus, I went from a drug addict to a Jesus addict in just one moment. Anybody know what I'm talking about? One touch from the Lord, and I said, this is better than ecstasy. This is better than weed. This is better than acid. This is better than anything the world has to offer me. All of that is a counterfeit. I was created for the pleasure of his presence. That is the pleasure you can indulge and indulge freely. The very presence and the glory of the Lord. Everything else is an inferior pleasure carnal that will destroy you. But you are created for the presence. And not just to encounter him here and there, but you can abide there because of the finished work of Christ. He tore the veil in his broken body, and now you can abide in the presence of your Father. Amen? 
And so that's what this book's about. My life, tons of scriptures to help you abide in the presence of the Lord. It's usually $16. It's in the back, it's $10. And so you can get a couple copies, bless somebody for Christmas. But also, I want to encourage you guys, we probably still have some more Bibles and some more resources out there from the Passion Translation, even though he was so nice to give you guys those copies. But, um, you know, it's Christmas time, am I right? Bless somebody with a copy of the Passion Translation. Bless somebody with a resource that will help them engage with the presence of the Lord every day. Hey, we get words from God. Maybe we'll pray and bless you guys back there. You never know what's going to happen here in this place. And so come by, get a copy for yourself, for a friend, and uh, be blessed. Thank you, Papa Brian. Release. Thank you. All right, give this away to somebody. Who wants a copy? Jeffrey. Okay, keep standing if you never got a Passion Translation. If you have one, you're going to be gracious to watch other people get blessed. We we rejoice with those that rejoice, all right? Just want everybody, you know, some of those are $150 genuine leather. Who got one of those that I actually signed and numbered? They're like a collector's item. They're very, very uh, special. Montana cowhide. We butchered a lot of Montana cows to make. Okay, we need at least four, like four or five more, I think, over here. All right, guys, I want to, I just feel loaded, you know, and I feel like I just, I've got so much I want to share today. Um, I want us to get past Let me say it this way. How many of you want more of the Holy Spirit? How many of you want more of the Word of God? You see, our passion for the Bible, for the Word of God, has to match our passion for Espiritu Santo. We need Word and Spirit. Those are the two witnesses of the book of Revelation. We must have Word and Spirit in these last days. And uh, my background is I grew up uh, pagan, total, like dope head, not from an early age, but uh, teenage on. And uh, I tell people I went from LSD to G-O-D in one day. And I had a dramatic conversion when I was 20. And uh, miracles began to happen that night that I was saved. I led, I don't know, I was in the army at the time and led a few servicemen to Christ. Uh, in our barracks, and I thought then God must have something for me because I, uh, to see these uh, young servicemen coming to know Jesus and weeping and some of them coming back to the Lord, it was just so powerful. So my wife and I were married in 1971. We're about to celebrate our 47th. She sends her her, uh, hellos to everybody. If you, if you know us in any you know, more than just Facebook friend. You know, the real friends are Facebook friends, right? Uh, if you know us uh, as friends in any way, you know that I'm always, always with Candace, my wife. I am never apart from her. So it's kind of weird that we're not together today. She's uh, with our 92-year-old dad and caring for him. Uh, we're caregivers for two of our fathers. So uh, she was unable to make it. She sends her love and greetings, and she's already had dreams and stuff. Some of what I'm going to share today is from the, one of the dreams, one of the eight dreams she had last night. She has eight every night. She's an amazing woman of God, and um, 
So, yeah, you need to start paying attention to your dream. The Lord gave us the name of the demon spirit. I, this is so amazing. We, we crush the spirit wherever we go that keeps you from remembering your dreams. You want to know the name of the spirit? Alarm clock. If you'll train yourself not to wake up with an alarm clock, you will begin to remember your dreams. Everybody dreams. It's a lie. Everybody dreams at least an hour and a half a night. So there's, there's nobody that doesn't dream. You say, I don't dream. No, you do dream. You don't remember your dreams. So when you begin to start this discipline of remembering your dreams, you're, it's the on-ramp for hearing the voice of God. I'm convinced that supernatural hearing God begins through dreams. They're all throughout the Bible. Amen? So, yeah, we've got to have a passion for the Scripture. I want to change the world by inviting people into the emotions of God, into the heart of God. And for so long, we've, we've forced truth into our mind, and that's a very small place to put it. The intellect is unable to contain revelation. It's always bigger than the container you put it in. Words themselves cannot contain the revelation. The revelation of the Spirit is always bigger in the containers you put it in. The door to truth is not the intellect. The door to truth is the heart yielded to God, a spirit in tune with heaven. And this love affair with mind has got to end. We have to get out of our minds. We have to literally get out of thinking that we can analyze truth and thereby absorb it. No, you absorb it, and the analyzation of it will come a few decades later. It's like Moses became a burning bush. He didn't go and teach about a burning bush. He became one. And he took the flame of Yahweh and, and broke the stronghold of ten principalities. The ten plagues were ten demon princes over Egypt. He dismantled their hierarchy and released a million people into their destiny. Have you done that lately? And it's all because of, he absorbed the presence of God. So the mind is incapable of understanding. We've got to have spirit revelation. We must approach the Word of God as though we're coming to, to, to uh, adore a mystery. The finest piece of art, the most beautiful tapestry, the, the texture, color, nuance of of every delightful, exquisite thing you can put in front of your eyes. That's how we must come to the Word of God. Instead of using it as swords to fight each other. As you come up higher the hill of the Lord, you will beat your sword into plowshares, which is for harvest. And the, the spears of jealousy we will beat into pruning hooks, which deals with the unbroken areas of our life, the fruitless ways of our heart. So there is a reality behind the text of every verse that we must seek for. Proverbs 25.2 in your Bible says that it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. Hashtag wrong translation. It's not a matter. It's not a matter. 800 times, over 800 times, that Hebrew word is translated word. 
It's the glory of God to conceal his word. Hashtag, you're getting closer, but not there yet. It's not the glory of God to conceal his word. The best translation is he hides his word in his glory. He hides his word in his glory. And guess where you have to go to get it? We go from glory to glory. Uh, too many of you are stuck at two. Glory to, glory to. If you, from, if you go from glory to glory, what's the starting point? The seven levels of glory, I teach that frequently. I did it in Atlanta not long ago. Anybody, some of you may have been in that meeting. The uh, wireless microphone, when I got to the sixth level of glory, exploded in my hand, flames shot out, blew out the lights and the sound system. As I said these words, Jesus is full of the glory of God. Boom. Everybody shrieked like a 12-year-old girl, hit the floor, and kissed the carpet for over an hour. As the heavy kabod came upon us, the heavy weight of glory, the sign that made you wonder. And it wasn't just the lights of that wonderful church and the sound system, etc. It was four blocks on every side of the building went blank, went out, dark at night. Traffic lights, all kinds of stuff happening. The glory. This is where he hides his word. Tell the person next to you, and by now you like them, but tell the person next to you, you don't know it all. You've been wanting to say that for quite a while, <laughs> especially the married couples. <laughs> so now that we got that out of the way, we know very little, don't we? We know very little. It's so important that we come humbly to the scriptures. Do you know that the people that crucified Jesus and hung him on a cross loved the Bible? They loved the Torah. They had memorized it. They had flag trees, which was portions of Scripture that they would put in little boxes and wear them on their foreheads. They'd have masseuses where they'd put Scripture verses on every doorpost. They were word people, but they totally missed their day of visitation. So it isn't just the letter, but it's the Spirit. When the law was given, Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments. Charleston Heston comes down the mountain, right? <laughs> or Christian Bale, whichever generation works for you. And, and the guys are dancing around this golden calf. And Moses tells the Levites, strap a sword to your thigh, kill every single person that's, that is in this idolatrous fling. 3,000 people died the day the law was given. How many were saved the day the Spirit was poured out? The law kills, the Spirit gives life. So the Holy Spirit has to breathe upon us as we come to the Scriptures. There is a reality behind every verse. It's, 
I'll, I'll try to make this really quick. And some of you have been in my meetings. You, you've heard me say this, but hear it again. Pardes. P-R-D-S. If I had a whiteboard, I would, I would put P-R-D-S. P is the Hebrew word Peshat, R, Ramez, D, Drash, and S is Saud. These are the four levels of interpreting every single Bible verse. The Western church is good at two, somewhat. But there's two other levels. Um, Peshat is plain, simple, literal. Uh, how many of you know the Bible is meant to be taken literal? How many of you know the Bible is not meant to be taken literal? Otherwise, we'd have a bunch of one-eyed men in this room. And we'd all have no money because we had already given it all to the poor. So the hyper-literalization of the scriptures will blind you to truth. When, when um, Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. We have no problem understanding that, right? What was the temple? What was the temple that he raised up again in three days? His body. And Paul twice tells us that our body is the temple. In Ephesians 2, the temple of God that's growing to become the habitation of eternity. So we are that temple. But when Jesus spoke those words, all they could think about was it took us 46 years to build with stones this temple, and you're going to destroy it and build it in three days? They hyper-literalized what Jesus said. And when I translated the Gospels, it was so clear that what caused Jesus, humanly speaking, to be crucified was that statement. They brought it up at his illegal trial and said, you said you spoke against the temple where we worship. Isn't it amazing all the sacred cows? We worship all kinds of shrines. Like, if I took away your rapture and antichrist, you'd be so upset with me. I get people mad when I talk about, you know, the make-believe millennium and some of the eschatology that is not even in the Bible. Dude, I want to be left behind. I want to be left behind. As it was in the days of Noah, two were in the field. In the days of Noah who was swept away and who was left behind. The wicked were swept away. The righteous were left behind. Dude, I want to be left behind. I'm going to write a whole series of novels on I want to be left behind. We got some kingdom building. We've got some miracles and evangelism and, and all kinds of wonderful experiences for the body of Christ as it telescopes out into eternity. We've got so much more God has planned for us. I want to be left behind, dude. So, 46 years, they said, it took us to build this temple. Isn't it interesting? You have 46 chromosomes in your temple. So, the even as he was on the cross, the scribes, which are scholars, don't think of dudes just copying, you know, like copying. No, these are the scholars. The scribes were the scholars because they, yes, they copied scripture, but they were the go-to people for theological questions because they were scholars. 
The Pharisees were married to the political spirit, but the scholars, they were married to the religious spirit. And Jesus said, beware of the scribes and the Pharisees. So when Jesus was hanging on the cross, they said, quoting him, you said, destroy the temple, three days you'll build it up. How's it working for you now? They mocked him, even at the cross, for speaking allegory. And when I come into cities and begin to unveil revelation in ways that people have not heard it, 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 it's, it like stirs this up again. Like, but it has to be literal. Dude, no, it doesn't. Peshat is the first level. R is Ramez. R means, uh, Ramez means hint. The Hebrew word Ramez means hint. There's a hint of something more profound in every Bible verse you read, correct? The third is drosh. It's where we get the word midrash or midrastic teachings. It's expositional, searching out of Scripture. It, it's digging deep. And few ever get to that realm, sadly. But the fourth level is only God can give it to you. And this is the level of all the prophets. Jesus himself. I mean, can't you see Jesus coming out of the synagogue? And, his, and all the disciples as they come out of the synagogue, Jesus just like blew them away. No one ever spoke like this. And the disciples, you know, one turns to the other and says, man, that was awesome. Yeah, but what did he say? <laughs> I don't know, but my heart's on fire. Yeah. It changed me. Yeah. Why am I crying? Yeah. It's because he spoke revelatory. He spoke in words no one had given to them before. And this great awakening that's coming, the spirit of revelation is going to come upon the body of Christ. Young men are going to see visions. Old men are going to dream dreams because they take lots of naps. And everybody's going to be prophesying. Revelation is coming. There's so much more Jesus had to say to his disciples, but they weren't ready. And heaven is saving best wine for last. He's saving for this generation the outpouring of revelation. Don't underestimate. Don't undervalue true revelation from God. You're here because of a revelation of the cross and the blood and Jesus is the Savior. You get healing from a revelation that Jesus is the healer, right? You can buy that truth. The Bible says, buy the truth, sell it not. And so when you get a revelation that you're about to become glorified, guess what? You didn't hear me. Those he justified, he also glorified. Past tense. The last reformation was justification by faith. This next one, dude, is glorification by faith. We're going to silence creation's groan. As sons and daughters begin to emerge, not make-believe, not just quoting Bible verses, but glow-in-the-dark, city-wrecking, glory-filled men and women that carry, like Mary, the Christ of glory. And 50-mile radius around them burns a glory zone that the world hasn't seen since Charles Finney. It's coming. The next thing God is going to do is not a rapture. Get off your rapture rug, dude. Roll it up. Take up thy mat and walk. 
The next thing God is about to do is unveil sons and daughters. You have had a veil over your eyes. And when the veil is turned, when the veil is taken away, and it says clearly in 2 Corinthians 3 that the Lord is the Spirit, that when we turn to the Spirit revelation, the veil of law-keeping, guilt-driven theology, His banner over me is not good enough. We get rid of some of that theology that has limited and tethered us to this world and to what people say of us instead of that seated in the heavenly realm, glorified people. When that veil comes off, the world is about to see the appearing, the parousia of Christ in a company of people. He's coming in clouds, not on clouds. Eight times in the Bible, clouds are people. I'm not going to wait for you to catch up. The cloud company will bring him. Isaiah 60, verse 8. Who are these that soar like clouds, fly like doves into their portals? A company of men and women are going to reveal Christ in these last days. Healings on the street is good. That's a good primer. Getting drunk in the spirit, that's really good. That's a good second base. But wait until the glory drops upon you and doesn't lift And every enemy is defeated before us. Fear, pride, you know, all all the junk. So this sod level, this fourth level is where you got to go. This is where he hides his word. This is the glory realm. I mean, you want it, right? We say we want it. We'll get ready to overturn every table of theology in your head. As a guilt-driven center gets booted out and suddenly the love lens comes over your heart and you look at the scriptures out of the, out of the realm of revelatory grace. I see in the seven days of creation, the seven stages of becoming like Christ. I see the four living creatures as the four steps you take into the Christ fullness. I mean, I, I, I'm getting so many crazy things. All I can do is footnote it. But we're going to bring back Jesus. He's not coming back until a bride is ready. Until she is, is radiant. And the word Paul uses is endoxos. It means glorified. Jesus is coming for a glorified bride. He's not coming back for a juvenile. He's got warts, pimples. You know, No. She's going to be mature, beautiful, radiant, look-alike partner of Jesus. Everything you love about Jesus is who you will be. Because we will be like Him. Our destiny is not just the gifts of the Spirit. Even Paul says they will pass away. Knowledge, revelation, faith, tongues, prophecy. They will cease. When? When perfect love comes. When that which is perfect comes. And that which is perfect is perfect love which casts out fear. And when perfect love comes, our infatuation won't be on faith, gifts, generosity, all of the the wonderful graces that we have. They're so beautiful. But the fascination of our heart will be upon this love, this God who describes himself as love. God is love. And I know an American didn't write that. Because we'd have a huge footnote, asterisk, a yeah but behind it. We would have... Like all kinds of like warnings about don't take it too far. 
yeah, but God's mad sometimes, you know. And, and instead of just leave it the way it is, God is love. Boom. Take it right out of the can, fresh, raw, just boom, straight up. God is love. You know love, you know God. You don't know love, you don't know God. So our fascination of these last days is going to be the love devotion of a bride to our bridegroom. The most beautiful man of all eternity is Jesus Christ. Some of you have forgotten that there's a man ruling the universe. A human being governs the universe. When he went to heaven, he didn't leave his body. He went bodily into heaven. There's a human being sitting on the throne. We do not worship a lamb, folks. We do not worship a lamb. That's idolatry. Four-legged, woolly lamb, barnyard animal. We do not worship a lamb. Are we in agreement that we do not worship a lamb? Okay. So the lamb, that is a metaphor. It is a lens through which we see the reality of sacrifice, humility, submission to the Father, obedience, the willingness of the lamb. We see so many things in that picture of lamb, but it's not meant to be literal. See, you've got to go past the literal text. I'm about halfway done with my introduction. I haven't even started what I want to... i got to ease you into this. Like I said, I take away your rapture, your antichrist, you know, and, you know, by the way, antichrist is not in the book of Revelation. Sorry, you've misread it. Go back and read it. There's no such thing as antichrist in the book of Revelation. Not there. Maybe the last book of the Bible is, maybe it's actually the unveiling, which, which it should be called. The title of the book is The Unveiling of Jesus Christ. What do you expect to find in a book called The Unveiling of Jesus Christ? What would you expect to find in that book? Maybe you need to read it. Maybe there's more there than meets the eye. Maybe, maybe the hyper-literalization. I mean, the beast. I found the Antichrist. If you want to know who the Antichrist is, I'll absolutely tell you. Okay? You ready? He's sitting in your chair. It's the beast. Technically, there's no such thing. I'll, I'll try to make this quick because I'm a little bit on a sidetrack here. But in Greek, it's very easy to say the Antichrist. There is a Greek definite article that is pretty much like English, the or the, and it's uh, ho, H-O. The Greek word ho before anything is the. It's a definite article. Nowhere is ho next to Antichrist. So there is no such thing biblically as the Antichrist. Still with me? In this Lutheran church? Okay, so... Paul, I'm sorry, John says it's a spirit. And he'll use antichrist and at times plural, antichrist, but never the antichrist. So, dude, the temple's not going to be rebuilt. Stop looking for the mercy seat. I already found it. It's on two legs now. It's within us, the believer. We carry, like Mary, the very glory. We gold inside and out. We carry the same three things in the mercy seat, the Hidden manna, the golden jar of mystery bread that makes you wonder. Wonder bread. We have Aaron's rod that buds with fruit. The awakening rod of the priestly authority. And we have the tablets of the law no longer written in stone, but written where? 
So the, the mercy seat has morphed from a literal figure into a spiritual picture. And the temple is not going to be rebuilt. If, God, if it is rebuilt, God will not be in there. He doesn't dwell in buildings made with hands. Why are you going to go rebuild what he already tore down? He really did a good job. I mean, come to Israel with me and I'll show you. He really did a good job tearing it down. Haven't you read Hebrews? The old way is obsolete. You want to rebuild the temple? My first question is two rooms or three? You're going to sew the veil back up? You're going to offer animals when there's been one sacrifice? And dude, it doesn't quite stick with me that it's going to be like a museum or memorial. No, I don't think so. There is a temple being rebuilt, but it's Ezekiel's temple, 47, Ezekiel 47 onward. I'll prove it if you'll listen. The four measurements of Ezekiel's river, what was the first depth? Ankle deep. What was the first miracle in the book of Acts? A man lame in his ankles outside the temple gate, beautiful. And the river poured through them and healed the man. Ezekiel's river coming from the threshold of the temple, healed a man lame in his ankles. You guys okay in this Methodist church? There's so much. I've got, you know, one session here this morning, just about done, and then tonight. But I, I, want, I, I want to just unpack what I can, so you get what you can and can what you get. But... The fourth level is sod. S-O-D, the Hebrew word sod. Anybody know what that Hebrew word means? Secret. Mystery. The secret of the Lord is with those that fear Him. 27 times, the Greek word mysterion, it is what it sounds like. The word mysterion is found 27 times in the New Testament. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 11, I give to you the mysteries of the kingdom of God. I, I thought you wanted more. If you want more, why don't you take the, what Jesus has given us? The mysteries. I have given to you the mysteries. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2, apostles are stewards of mysteries. Their role is to dispense revelatory secrets. That they're to dispense to the church the mysteries that will build up their faith and make the church into the image of Jesus. So the best way to hasten the coming of the day of God is to become like Christ. And let's silence the groan of creation. Romans 8, 19 to 21. All of creation groans and travails not for the second coming. And by the way, second coming, that word is not even in the Bible. Everything we put into our eschatological teaching, not everything, but much of it, it doesn't find an authentic place in the Scriptures. Jesus came many times to His disciples after His appearing. I mean, He, he, he walked through my wall 2009 and breathed on me and gave me this commission to translate the Bible. Nobody in their right mind would do that unless the Lord told them to do it. So, the many comings of the Lord. How about the first coming? How many people got the first coming? I mean, who, who was there? Well, Mary, uh, she got it by angelic visitation, right? Gabriel came and said, God will overshadow you. 
episkazo is the Greek word, that she will be overshadowed. I see her shaking for two weeks under the power of God until Christ was impregnated within her. Um, Joseph got it by dreams, supernatural dreams. How about the wise men? How did they get it? The wise guys. How did they get it? Cosmological signs in the heavens. How about the shepherds? Really, you really should come with me to Israel this year, this next year, September, tptisraeltour.com, and we will take you on site with insight. I'll share with you some secrets about, the, about Bethlehem and, and the birthplace of Jesus. He was born at Migdalidar. It's prophesied in Micah 4 verse 8 that nobody even looks at, as well as Micah 5 verse 2. But the very birthplace of Jesus was the watchtower of the flock. And, and, and this was where Passover lambs were, were kept. And they would guard these lambs for a year until they would be sacrificed at Passover. And they would literally wrap a lamb in linen cloths and carry it around to make sure it was kept. So it wouldn't be bruised, nothing broken, other lambs wouldn't bite it, that it would be spotless. So the sign given by the angels to the shepherds was that you'll see a baby where a lamb belongs in a feeding trough, wrapped like a Passover lamb. It goes even farther. The, the clothes that they would wrap it in were actually the linen undergarments of the high priest. He could only wear them once, and then they would tear them up not to be used again because they were holy. The garments were holy because they touched the, ho- the high priest. And they would wrap these Passover lambs in these linen. Isn't it interesting? He was born and buried in those linen. And he gives us those linen garments as well. But, so the only ones that got the first coming of Jesus received it by divine revelation. And you have the second figured out? Yeah. It says His coming is at hand, right? The coming of the Lord is at hand. That is the Greek word egus. It comes from a, it's a nominalized verb. It comes from a word that you use to hold the reins, to squeeze with your hand. The coming of the Lord is in your hands. He comes when you bring Him. He comes when we're ready. Someone, somewhere, is going to become the lookalike of Jesus and begin to reveal the fullness of who He is to this earth. And they will radiate miles around them with a supernatural glory that will bring masses to Christ and healings like you can't imagine. We're not going to have time to pray over the sick. We're going to... like. Touch the wall of a hospital and everyone is emptied. Interrupt funerals because we came into the room. There's going to be a glory. Acts 2.0 is coming, folks. There's coming a new upgrade in these last days. The first reformation 500 years ago, thank God, established justification by faith. But the same faith that justified you, past tense, is the same faith that justified you, past tense. Who will take that? Who will take that truth? Who will take the glorification revelation of an unveiling of sons and daughters of the living God? 
that all of creation, we need to silence its groan and be who God has made us to be. Silence the groan of creation. It's not groaning for a rapture or a millennium, but for a son or a daughter to be unveiled, which is the last book of the Bible. It's the same word. It's used 18 times in the New Testament. The, the, the unveiling of Jesus is your unveiling too. So sod is that last realm, or not last realm, but it is the, the, the most deep and mysterious and, and glorious realm that only God can give the prophet. The book of Ezekiel, I mean, people want to hyper-literalize things. I say, read Ezekiel 1, knock yourself out, come back and tell me what it means. I mean, it's crazy. And the book of Revelation, you got bugs as big as Volkswagens and you got... Oh, by the way, if you're going to worship the lamb, be sure to put seven horns and seven eyes on him too, okay? How's that for a mental picture? We come and worship a lamb on a throne with seven eyes and seven horns. We are forced to look at it deeper, aren't we? So if the lamb of God is a metaphor and not meant to be literal, why couldn't the throne be a metaphor. You're not going to squeeze God into a chair. <laughs> Heaven is my throne. There's so many mysteries, beloved. And we're, we're dabbling with these little trinkets and calling it gemstones. And there's so much more of the unveiling that God wants to bring in these last days. And spirit wind and spirit life and the presence of of God embedding into us the virtues of eternity. This is all the pathway of the burning heart. It's all the journey we must all enter into. So with my introduction aside, I want to introduce to you the most powerful prophetic revelation in all the Bible. And it's actually locked inside the center of the Bible as the heartbeat. And it, it, the arteries are meant to go out into all, 60, all the other 65 books. And it's the Song of Songs. It's the greatest composition ever. It's not the greatest Song of Solomon. It's the greatest song ever. No one is going to top it. I mean, Ryan Seacrest. I mean, it, it, it's the best. Dick Clark. Showing my age. The lyrics of love, so beautiful, so exquisite. You are forced to get out of your head and come and lay yourself upon that book and say, put it in me, God. I'm not smart enough. I'm not brilliant enough to analyze, to understand, but I'm hungry enough, God. I'm passionate enough. Whatever is in that book, give it to me. 20-some years ago, I prayed that prayer, and he began to unfold it to me. Um, you mentioned, uh, Renee, last night, thank you for that book, The Sacred Journey. It were sold out. Uh, if I've, besides, I gave, I think, everything on the table away already. But my wife and I wrote this to help a generation step into the fiery presence of God. 
The word Shulamite and the word Solomon comes from the same Hebrew root word, one masculine, one feminine. So you're the Shulamite and Solomon is Jesus, the king. So let one greater than Solomon take his place and you take the place of the Shulamite, male or female, doesn't matter, get over that, and, and become who you really are, a lover, a passionate lover of God. And you'll, you'll find that Jesus wants to drench you in His emotional desires to have you. He wants to immerse you into the, the, the glory of His heart for you. When you really understand the depth of His love, which you can't understand. I mean, the height, the width, the depth, the length. Who can... It's past finding out. It's illogical. It's beyond understanding, right? Give me every dictionary and every language and I'll stack them up from here to the moon. I will not have enough words to talk about the love of God. And the Song of Songs unveils this allegorical opera, this divine soliloquy. It's a story. It's a symphony. It's got... A romance. I mean, dude, it starts with a kiss. I mean, like, can't we slow dance first, you know? <laughs> Boom. And it takes us into the realm of leaning into the heart of our beloved. We come out of our wilderness journey. We come into the very heart. We lean into our beloved until we become one with him. Your destiny is to become one with Jesus. Everything you love about Jesus is who you will be. Your calling is to represent Him, represent Him. This is the message we carry to the nations. This is the message Austin needs. Your family needs this, my friend. Your heart needs this. Uh, I mean, the person next to you really does. You're okay, but the person next to you really needs this. Don't look at them, they'll be embarrassed, but they need it. There's so much to share, and I do have a multi-session online course that I wish someone would take. <laughs> I did it for you. No, we've got people taking it. Some of you, are you taking it? Yeah. Uh, some of you have been in our live courses. I'm doing a live course uh, Hollywood film crew is coming in March uh, in Pasadena. I'll be doing a live course on the book of Romans, the romance of Romans, Pauline theology, how it's rooted in the Song of Songs. I don't think anybody's ever uncovered much of that except maybe Winnie Banoff a little bit. She and I are working together on, on some of this project. But, but the Song of Songs, I can absolutely 100% convince you if you'll listen that it's not erotica. It's not Dr. Ruth stuff for the church, you know. It's not how-to manual for married couples. Tell your wife someday that her belly is a mound of wheat and her nose is like the Tower of Damascus and see if she gets turned on or not. See if that, oh, stop, oh. Your hair is like goats running down Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like fluffy sheep. 
Not one is missing. Good. Had some implants. That's good. And just because it has body parts doesn't mean it's erotic. Would God really call a book the greatest song of all, the song of all songs, and then talk about bedroom stuff? I don't think so. I'm not trying to belittle or, I mean, go have fun, married couples. Great. But that's not what this song of the ages is about. It's how Christ matures a last day's company to become unveiled in the radiance of who they really are. Yeah, so some of my friends, you know, I could drop the names. You would know them. Uh, they said, you know, Brian, we love what you're doing, and it's awesome, and, but you're kind of feminizing the church. I said, really? Yeah, you, got, you need to tell everybody. It's, you know, Song of Songs is okay, but you need to tell everybody that we are mighty apostles, <laughs> world-changing, Goliath-killing champions. I said, amen. But Jesus isn't coming back for a husband. You better sit down for this. The last word Jesus spoke on the cross, what was it? It is finished, right? It is is not in the text. It's, oh gosh. Shaba. <laughs> this is, the top popped off here. <laughs> it did. <laughs> That's for last night, those of you that were here last night. So it is the Greek word tetelestai, and it means finished. But here's the deal. Jesus didn't speak Greek on the cross. Yeah, I hope the church doesn't mind tomorrow that they slide on. Thank you. So on the cross... We have Jesus saying the words, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That's not Greek. It's Aramaic, related to Hebrew. The last word Jesus spoke on the cross was kala. Kala. It means finished. But it has another meaning. Kala is what is known as a homonym. Hebrew is a homonymic language. Words have multiple meanings. This is why a word-for-word -word translation, to me, is a joke. If you know Hebrew, not contemporary Hebrew, but biblical Hebrew, you just can't do that. You can't take a Hebrew concept and always put it into one word. Anyway, the last word Jesus spoke, kala, has a dual meaning. It means finished, but would you like to know the other meaning? What if for 2,000 years the church has been deprived of the fullness of what Jesus said? The word kala is the Hebrew word bride. Bride! Then he gave birth to her. The heavenly Eve came, blood and water, mom, comes at childbirth. He gave birth. How can he be the everlasting father and not have sons and daughters? We came out of the wounds of Christ. Where were you born again? In there. 
This is where he puts the dove, Song of Songs 2. He tucks her into his side, the cleft of the rock, the, the wounds of the cross, the rock that was split open. And so Christ's being was split open, and there the eternal dove, the bride, is placed with him in his wounds. You guys okay in this Episcopal church? So, the Song of Songs is this, this very alluring, because it uses emo. I mean, it uses words that will touch the heart. How many of you know that truth is for the heart? I repent publicly for saying, I need to get truth from here down to here. I repent. I was wrong. Truth must come here first or you don't get it. And over the decades, it will come up here. The mind is too small to contain revelation. You are, you, eternity is in our hearts, Solomon said. So there is an eternal realm we can contain. We are containers of the Christ. Dust and deity have kissed and mingled and joined. And here you are. It's you. And the unveiling is the next thing on God's timetable. Yes, there'll be moves of the Spirit. I'll be, along with Jeff and everybody else, I'll be right there on the front row wherever that's happening. But the next epic plan that God is going to unfold for this earth is not a rapture and, and judgments. If you hear of a horrible earthquake or a calamity that is tragic... It is birth pangs of a people coming forth. It's the creation. Until we get it, until we come out and become transfigured in the renewing of our minds and become who God has called us to be, lookalikes of Jesus, our calling is to become like Him. We bring Him back. We bring back the King. When David was exiled by his rebellious son, Absalom, the elders of the city, when they came to their senses, they said, what have we done? Who will bring back the king? Who will bring back the king? When is Jesus coming? When you bring him back. If the second coming depends on you, how close are we? The healing of our inner being must come forth, a new core in our minds, the mind of Christ and the heart of Christ, a love-centered nuclear reactor inside of our heart. I've prayed almost every day the last few years, make me the most loving person of any room I go into. When they beat Jesus, love spilled out. What comes when you are persecuted and maligned and websites and blogs anti-you? <laughs> you just have to love. The more love. Whoever loves the most wins. I'm a little competitive. so. <laughs> it, you know, we've compared each other like little middle school kids. And we compete and conflict and, we, you know, who's the top dog? And, oh, my, quit. 
There's an apple tree, and this is what I really have to share with you. In Song of Songs 2, there's an apple tree that stands above all the other sons of men. There's a, a tree that is higher, sweeter, better, more beautiful than all the other trees of the forest. Now, folks, in the Bible, trees are always a metaphor for people. Psalm 1 speaks about the blessed is a man, he's like a tree. When the blind man was partially healed, he saw men walking around like trees. Let all the trees of the field clap their hands. Last time I checked, trees have branches, not hands. We are the trees of the field. The people of the nations will celebrate the triumph of the cross. So trees then become this virtual reality into, into, a, into humanity. And there is one tree, it's the tree of life, it's the tree called Calvary, where Jesus stands above all the anointed five-fold dudes in the church. <laughs> Fill a stadium with your favorite ones. Oh, they write great books, they put out awesome CDs, I mean, Lauren Dagan, on and on and on and on. Fill a stadium. There is one who stands above them all. Somebody tell me his name. Isaiah 4, verse 1. First one to read that, you'll know who Isaiah 4, 1. I'm going to wait until somebody reads it. Uh, you'll know when they've read it because they're laughing. Isaiah 4, verse 1 is about to be fulfilled. Isaiah 4, verse 1. Oh, he found it. Some of you are reading it. Isaiah 4, verse 1. You got it? If you got it, say, I got it. All right. In that day, seven women are going to lay hold of one man. This is called the bachelor's verse. Every Bible college bachelor worldwide has written this verse and put it on their memo, on their board there, or on their refrigerator with a, a, a magnet. Seven women are going to lay hold of one man. Hang in there, guy. You're going to make it. Surely one out of the seven will be a keeper, right? I mean, if you can choose from seven. Well, what, what, what in the world is this? How many churches in the book of Revelation? The seven women are going to lay hold of one man. See? In the last days, our infatuation will be with one. I mean, we love one another, but only one bled to death for me. Only one knows my secret longings and still loves me. See? And this passionate love for Jesus, we will lay hold of one man, will be called by his name. He'll take away our disgrace and the glorious Isaiah 4 chapter will begin to be fulfilled as the canopy of glory, which is the chuppah, the wedding canopy, over all the assemblies, over all the churches, will be a wedding canopy hmm, of glory. I'm telling you, your destiny is, is to become the lookalike of Jesus. We're going to bring him back as we get unveiled. I mean, I don't know how far you want to go into this, but dude, 
we hold the, we hold the timing in our hands. 2 Peter 3.12 says that we can hasten the coming of Christ. We can hasten it. And if you can hasten it, then you can postpone it. When is Jesus coming? When we bring Him. When we grow up, mature, the full measure of the stature, Ephesians 4, has not yet taken place. Creation is still groaning. Until men and women arise as the lookalikes of Jesus. Our real calling is to carry like Mary, this Christ divine, dispense Him into the nations. Our love, the touching of a child, the forgiveness of the one who violated you. All of these express Jesus and release more of Him into our world. You're the seven-sealed book. He's the Word. We're the scroll. Isn't it interesting? Seven times in the book, in the New Testament, it says we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Seven times. He's all four horsemen. 2020, I'm doing a live course on... I've already done the unveiling, which was an introduction to Revelation. I've done the throne room, which was chapter 4 and 5. A whole weekend we spent in the throne room. And the next one I'm going to do is the four horsemen and the seven seals, and it's not what you think. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. By the way, it's not the book... What, what is it, the, the, the Lamb's Book of Life? Have you heard that phrase? That's not the best translation. It's the book of the life of the Lamb. If I told you I had a book of the life of George Washington, you would expect to read all about him, wouldn't you? What about the book of the life of the Lamb that is unfolded within us? As we become lambs, as we become lamb-like, the wolf will lie down with the lamb. It's speaking of the subduing nature of Christ. In Isaiah 11, there's 15 different animals and personages, entities, 15 of them. They all are elsewhere in the Bible equated to uh, human nature. It's going to lie down with the lamb. The lamb is going to subdue. If we'll get under the lampstand, the seven spirits of God, Isaiah 11, until the subduing power of Christ causes every beast nature in you to be converted. The beast, my friend, eight times in the Bible, the beast is human nature. When Paul said, I fought with beasts in Ephesus, it was a religious spirit. It wasn't like Lions, tigers, and bears, oh my, rolling down the streets of Ephesus, and Paul is with a sword killing. No, it was human nature. He caused a riot with the religious spirit. Brute beast. Asaph said in Psalm 73, I was like a brute beast when I hid my sin before you. And so that beast that comes up out of the earth is what we're made of. What was the serpent cursed to eat? what we are made of. Whatever you withhold from God becomes food for the devil. The human heart becomes the dining room of demonic power when we withhold 
from God. Dust is what we're made from. So our, our spirit being must rise. And as it does, the spirit of revelation is going to encounter us. And we're going to begin to look at the Bible so differently. There's an apple tree that stands above all your anointed friends. And his fruit is sweet to my taste. I sit under the shade of this tree where the glory never fades. And the Shulamite lover has this trysting place under the apple tree of union with Christ. And in this realm, she tastes of his fruit. How I would wish you would become contemplative and spend time, you know, linger with your lover. And become one with him. Two shall become one. Don't let the doctrines of men divide asunder what God has joined together. This whole thing ends with two becoming one. <laughs> Everything he is, you will be. Everything. You've been sucked into the Trinity. You've been brought right into the triune glory. You have literally been taken into the triune essence. How did you get there? Well, Jesus is the prototype. He's God and man mingled. He's a 200 percenter. And inside the Trinity is a human being. Please think about that for a year or two. Inside the triune Godhead is a man that is longing to share that with us. It does not yet appear what we shall be. But when he appears, in your pain, in your dark night, in your difficult marriage, in a stress-filled work environment, when he appears, you will be like him. Whenever he appears, that's not the second coming. It's the unveiling. It's his appearing. When he appears in front of you, you will be like him telling you that's your real calling of course we have mission we have mandates we have ministry somebody's got to work in the nursery I understand it I got it but our true calling is to be wrapped around by the triune glory the church fathers called it perichoresis Peri is around or surround. Choresis is where we get chorus or choreography. And it, it, it's simply that God wraps himself around us and sings over us and dances with us in the divine dance. Let the dance begin. And I'll tell you what the music will be. The song of songs. And nothing will make you dance like the lyrics of this book. As you feast under the apple tree, suddenly she was translated, transported into what in your Bible's called the banqueting table, right? 
Hashtag wrong translation. There is no banquet in the text, and there is no table in the text. It's not a banqueting table. It had to have been Baptist translators because he brought me to the house of wine. He brought me to the house of wine. He brought me... You see, I feasted under the apple tree. Oh, I, I tasted his sweet fruit. Oh, I just... Num, num, num. I, mm, I, I, I tasted his sweet fruit until... Out of body, doop. I'm in the wine cellar. How did I get here? And all of you are there too, and it's a party. And as I come across the threshold, he unfolds this banner over me. And what is on that banner? Yeah, it's not try harder, someday you'll be good. You know, double tithe, fast 41 days. What well, is just love? Let the love feast. Why don't we have church services that are called love feasts again? Where we commune with God and each other. Love feasts. That's what our meetings are. Love feasts. Oh, the cup of bliss and the bread of His presence. And we drink and we eat and we feast. And then we do it all over again. And, of course, one will prophesy, another will have interpretation of tongues, and, and there'll be dreams and revelatory angels visiting and healings, but it's the love feast of Jesus consuming the last day's church. So she passes out at her own engagement party. She takes too much. You ever been there? Oh, thank God for designated drivers, Ubers, and... All you that help carry me out of meetings, if, if you see that I don't really want anybody to pray for me, please don't take offense. It's just that I'm a heavy drinker. I receive. When people pray for me, I really receive it. And I'm 220 pounds, and they'll carry me upstairs or wherever you got to. Anyway, just. Ah. I want to be a drunken scholar of the Word of God. I want to be a scholar of His heart, not just letters on a page. A burning heart is more precious than a brilliant mind. And the longing of God is to find containers, vessels, clay jars that can carry a glorious treasure that will not boast about, look at my jar. Isn't my jar lovely? Well, sweetheart, it may have been a few years ago, but. Not so much anymore. We don't glorify the jars. It's always the immature that will, you know, if I can just get near that guy or that girl that's anointed, if I can just get into her concert and just get next to this person. What about Jesus? I, and the day will come where you stop relating to him externally. And you'll say, I am my beloved's. That means so much more than you think. And he is mine. Oneness. It's greater than destiny, identity. The next thing God is going to unveil. We've had identity and destiny. Yay, I love it. Wholeness, sozo. But it's coming on steroids, bro. 
I love all of that. But there is the next thing is union. Identity and destiny is still about you. But when union hits and you blend and mingle, co-mingled, you're wrapped inside and He is wrapped inside and two become one. That's the mountains of spice. That's the eternal honeymoon. I'm telling you, we've got to give birth to the last day's expression. The woman of Revelation 12 must give birth. The, the bride must come forth. The company of lovers has to come. Creation is groaning. Can't you hear it? The wind and the trees, the earth itself shaking, spewing up its fire. All of creation waiting for us. On tiptoes, waiting for us to be unveiled. That's amazing. Revelation 1, verse 1. This is the unveiling of Jesus Christ, which God gave him. When? When did God give it to him? This is the unveiling of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to give to us. So in other words, his unveiling is our unveiling. There's no way you can read verse 1. And the Lord told me he put the key to the book under the front doormat. Verse 1 is the key to the book. That this is the unveiling of Jesus Christ, which God gave Him to give to us. So our unveiling is His unveiling. So here's my question. When did God give that unveiling to Jesus? When did Jesus get unveiled as to who He really was? We know He did it at baptism because the Father identified Himself with the Son. But is there any other place in the New Testament? Is there any other place in the New Testament prior to the baptism where Jesus said, I have to be about my Father's business in my Father's house? We know He was unveiled by the age of 12. He was not unveiled as a toddler, as a little infant nursing, not as a toddler, I don't think as an eight-year-old, but somewhere in his adolescence, Jesus went from being who he, you know, uh, just a normal kid, but he's not a normal kid. He's the son of God. I know I'm speaking mysteries. Don't, don't, Jump to a conclusion till I finish this. Jesus is God. Have you risked your life for that truth? I have more than once. I believe Jesus is God eternal. But with the same intensity, I believe Jesus is a human being. He's the God man. He's the man, Christ Jesus. 
So we have to always mingle these natures of God and man. We have to get out of our Greek mentality and enter into more of a Hebraic that, you know, is it one or the other? Yes. It's yes. Is he God or man? Yes. He's the God-man, the 200% human. But he did not know that at four years of age. Father had to unveil as a love gift to his son, when you came out of heaven, son, you left glory here, and now I'm going to unveil who you really are. This is the unveiling of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to give to us. I'm done. I just, I just really think you should ponder past the limitations of guilt-driven theologies. You will not go blind if you read the Song of Songs. You can go past... You know, fivefold ministry, the Lord is showing me that in, in a few years we will fall out of love with the fivefold ministry teaching because it's all outer court. Fivefold ministry is all outer court. It prepares people to go in and become priests in the Holy of Holies. There is a higher ministry than fivefold. It's the priestly. And we know so little about Zadok, priesthood, Melchizedek priesthood, Levitical priesthood, Aaronic. There's all kinds of priestly anointings and revelation truths are going to be unveiled in this next. And we're going to look back 20 years from now and say, can you believe we were, we were like trying to decide if we were apostle or prophet when we're all priests? We're not going to divide under those banners. His banner over me is love. There's two words for banner. One is a tribal banner. The other is a military banner. And Solomon used the tribal banner. We're the love tribe. Mm-hmm. The love tribe. I've kept you late. You guys are getting hungry. But... There, there's, there's so much more in the book, guys. All right. I'll give you something to think about as you go out the door. How does it feel to be the 42nd generation? We could close in prayer or I could explain it. Okay, okay. all right. Matthew, the gospel, the New Testament begins with something you skip over. It's the genealogy. First of all, every one of those names, if you get the meaning of their names and put it all in a sentence, you'll have the most powerful presentation of the gospel and maturing in Christ you'll ever imagine. Just in the meanings of those names. The first 14 generations is from Abraham to David with 14 names. The second is from David to the captivity, which was 14 generations, 14 names are given. And the third and last is from the captivity to Christ. And you read there and uh, 
It's got the names there. So what's 14 times 3? 42. There's a missing generation. There's only 43. I'm sorry, there's only 41. I counted it 20 times. I had my wife count it because she's better in every way. I had my friends count it. There's no one that will read those names and come up with any other number than 41. You're the missing generation. You complete the genealogy of Christ. Because we are now uh, a company. Christ is both a person and a company of people. Right? As the body has many members, so also is Christ. Christ is now an expression, not just a person. Come on, Lutherans. You can come with me. Now, Israel, between Egypt and crossing the Jordan, stopped 42 times. And I'll be compiling a book of the 42 journeys into Christ-likeness. And the place they stopped, the meaning of the place, becomes the revelation truth you must absorb to get to the next. 42 is the number of, of God's fullness coming forth in Christ. Did you know you can only see a rainbow at a 42-degree angle? Some of you don't believe me, but you believe Wikipedia. Go ahead. Knock yourself out. That's okay. You cannot see a rainbow, invisible, unless it's a 42-degree angle. So every rainbow you see, you're at a 42-degree angle. We're the rainbow around his throne, but you're not ready for that yet. We'll get there. We are the rainbow company. Come on. By the way, how many years did Jesus minister on earth? It was, wasn't it three and a half years? How many months? 42 months. Okay. Yeah, if you take his 42 and our 42, you have the missing week of Daniel, and you have the completion of what God's about to do. He has to have a bride at his side. How does it feel to be the 42nd? generation that completes the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Would you stand? Lord, thank you so much for our time this morning. I ask God that you will sweep away every mentality that says we know it all. When we're like little kitties in the wading pool and the ocean, we've been in the river, but this is the sea. Take us into the sea of glass where warfare is over. The sea of peace. Bring us into realms we've never visited before. Take us out of our limited theologies, our gospel-limiting doctrines that have been passed on through novels and commentaries, but not by the Holy Spirit. Let the mysteries of heaven grip us, the hidden manna that feast, we feast upon inside of us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Lord, I ask that you'll inf just inflame our hearts 
for more. And that as Jeff ministers this afternoon, God, the presence will be so overwhelming, God. It's, it's as though we are raptured, levitating into the glory, into realms of passion and presence. Thank you, Jesus. Make us the most loving people in the city of Austin. Against such things, there is no law. There's no boundary to love. No prohibition. God will never rebuke me for being too loving. Against these things, there is no law. The law is against evil, but the fruit of the Spirit. Ha! Ah, endless, boundless, no limit, no boundary. Woo! Joy. Huh, peace. Woo. Yeah. So, Lord, unveil Jesus. Let Revelation 1 become our, man our mantra in the last days. That this is the unveiling of Jesus in me. That what he experienced, we will experience. Until the earth is filled with lookalikes of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Give birth, Lord, to sons and daughters. Kala, from the wounds of the cross, let your bride come forth. Well, I hope I haven't feminized anybody. Let's all go to the gym now. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit www.bethelchurchaustin.com.